Hey friends, I know some of you guys are listening to this because you're currently going through something difficult, but some of you guys are listening to this because these resources at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, these stories that you're hearing, they're providing you a lot of help as you're helping other people who are going through a difficult time. So let me ask you this. Do you have a friend or a loved one who has gone through a really difficult season of tragedy or trauma or major life transition? Has someone you cared about recently shared their struggles and pain with you? Did you wonder what you could do to help this person engage in their story and find deeper healing? We, we've all been there. It can, it can feel helpless to witness someone you love walking through a valley of suffering after loss or betrayal or divorce or some other set of circumstances that, that have left them reeling. You probably even thought, I wish there was more that I could do. Well, good news. There is. And nothing is wasted ministries. We offer an ever growing expanse of resources for helping people navigate through pain of all kinds. But I want to share with you one resource that you may be able to help with right now as you're walking with a hurting friend or family member. Our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call with me will help point your hurting friend toward practical steps that they can take right now to move from pain into newfound healing and purpose. And listen, it's completely free. And they'll have a chance after I spend some time teaching and sharing my own journey of pain to purpose, they'll have a chance to ask questions and engage with me. And as someone who has been in their shoes after trauma and tragedy has upended my life, um, I, I understand what it feels like. And so I want to invite them. Actually, I want to invite you to invite them to come be a part of this five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. All they have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash start here to make plans to join me for this next live call. You could even you could even offer to attend the Zoom call with them, whether you're doing it with them in person or virtually, but nothingiswasted.com slash start here is where you would want to register. It's hard to know how to best love and serve those around us who are hurting, but this is one way that you can practically help your friend in pain. Send them a text or an email today and invite them to join me for the next free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. Can't wait to see you guys there. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining me... Aubrey Sampson, your Man. co-host. Davey, I feel like we haven't been in the same space in a while, so this, this is, is fun. Really great. I like seeing you. Really How you oh, doing? I'm doing well. I'm actually, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm in a very different studio location, I guess. We are currently in Milford, Delaware. How about that? Milford, Delaware. Good old Milford, <laughs> Delaware. At a church called United Church. They're one of our partner churches for Pain to Purpose. We are actually putting on our very first, what's called Healing Leader Roundtables. And it is a roundtable where we have um, asked all, some of our partner churches to invite other pastors in their region for a one-day event where we sit down and have a conversation with them about bringing the healing conversation back into the church. Love that, Davey. And um, I keep, you know, the the thing I keep going back to is one of our coaches, um, she told me, you know, when we went through our crisis, 
we we felt like we had to go outside of the church to find our healing. Mm. And that has just sat so heavy with me because, mm. and for you being a pastor, yep. myself as well, yep. it's like, we should be, I, I mean, absolutely, there's a place for outsourcing that of on course. some level. There of are course. certain times, right? You need counseling, yes. stuff that's outside the local church. Yep. But I think we're leaving a lot on the table mm. in terms of healing mm. because God's church should be the place where people are healing, where yep. we are creating environments where people can find freedom from Amen. their trauma, their tragedies, major yep. life transitions and, and be able to move forward on purpose. So what we're doing is we we have tomorrow as we record this, our very first one. We have two in Iowa in October. We have one in Virginia in November. And then we're making plans for 2024 to do several others. Awesome, Davey. But tomorrow we have 142 Woo! pastors and church leaders that are gonna be joining us at Come this on. Healing Leader Roundtable. It's our first one. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm so excited. Aubrey, I was up at 2.45 this morning catching a flight. Great. So you're gonna make a lot of sense now. So I'm gonna make tons of sense right now. I'm glad I'm getting this version <laughs> of you and I'm glad for our listeners to get this Who version. Who knows what happens when I have no sleep. That's I right. ramble. <laughs> That might be. Oh, that's so exciting, though. I'm with you. I'm. I'm so crazy enough to believe that the local church is still the place where healing can happen. That's right. And so I love. I love that. Um. I love that nothing is wasted is doing that. You're out in the world doing that. So that's really exciting. Hey, we have a great guest today mm-hmm. that I was a little bit jealous of because he lives and ministers <laughs> in New Zealand. Yes. Strong and Coleman. leads contemplative retreats there. I mean, so. come on. I feel like, Strawn, if you're listening, you need to invite a couple <laughs> Nothing Is Wasted co-hosts out just to like see. That's we right. taste and see, and then we'll we report back to, to the American right. public. <laughs> <laughs> we can get an actual real life experience of these contemplative yes. retreats. And then we can, from personal experience... That's Tell right. everybody how wonderful it is. That's Refer right. people to these retreats. That's right. <laughs> Stron is a writer. He's a musician. He's like we said, a spiritual director. And he also has a book out called Beholding, Deepening Our Experience in God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but one of the things I appreciate about Stron is he has suffered with chronic illness for 10 years. Mm. And of course, I don't appreciate that he suffers with that. But I think any work like a book on beholding and deepening your experience of God, born from pain and heartache and feeling poor in spirit and like being in a battlefield in your body, I'm Mm. just going to take that seriously. Like there is an earned gravitas there as he's wrestled with the Lord through his pain that I think you, nothing is wasted. You're going to be really, you're going to be really moved by um, him as well. Mm. Mm. It's going to, I mean, you know, and and this is um, such an important conversation. We don't often have these conversations about, uh, you know, chronic illness or chronic or chronic disease, chronic pain. Yeah. And, and yet there's so many people who are suffering with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just the last um, several episodes, we've had Vanitha mm. Reisner on the podcast Love with her. me doing some of the intros and outros. And it yeah. was just, uh, you know, that's been her journey. And we've talked to her about some yeah. of that. And yeah. so this is going to be so helpful and healing, I think, to so many of you guys. As you're wrestling through the difference between, we, we talked about the difference between sustaining grace and delivering grace. Mm. And that tension when you go, okay, God, I want you to heal me and I believe you can, but the healing may look different than what we mm. uh, at least expect it too. And yeah, so, so how do we still wrestle in that and find contentment? Like how mm. do we find contentment 
in those places of suffering. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be really good. If you're looking for a way to get started, you've maybe just been turned on to nothing as Wasted Ministries, you're trying to figure out what's my next step or how yeah. can I begin a journey to find hope and healing, you know, what we say is we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. We really believe that no matter what you've gone through, that you that God is inviting each one of us to take back our story. The That's enemy right. has encroached on our story. He has, as our friend Kerry Garcia said a few episodes ago, he has partnered with people and circumstances. The enemy has partnered with people mm. and circumstances to paralyze us in our trauma. Mm. And God's inviting us to partner with him to take back that story from okay. the enemy. And so we want to help you with that. We have a uh, Zoom call that is regular. Uh, sometimes it's every other week. Sometimes it's once a month. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You're Going Through. We would love to invite you to be a part of that. It's live. I'm there teaching it live. We do Q&A. We get a chance to just see each other. It's not a webinar format. Yep. It's like we're actually looking yep. at each other, talking with each other over Zoom. And so you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We would love to help you as you're getting started That's right. on that journey to take back your story. Aubrey, let's dive into this conversation that huh, neither one of us had, by the way. Amazing, by the way. That Eric Shoemaker had with Strawn. It is a great conversation. Mm -hmm. And so go ahead and listen to Eric's conversation with Strawn Coleman. Hey friends, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. This is Eric Shoemaker, and I am a new voice on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You've probably heard me a few times on intros and outros discussing some of our our great interviews. Um, I'm thankful to Davey for the invitation to begin uh, hosting some of these conversations, and so I'm glad to be here today. Um, if you want to connect with me online. I'm on all the socials at uh, E.M. Shoemaker. Uh, Shoemaker is spelled S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R. Sound Looks like Schumacher, sounds like Shoemaker. It's been a fun lifetime explaining to people how that works. Um, but I'm glad to be here with the Nothing is Wasted podcast family today. Um, I'm especially glad to be here um, with a new friend, uh, Strawn Coleman. Uh, Strawn is a writer, an award-winning folk musician, spiritual director from New Zealand, and I have been enjoying making my way through his book, uh, Beholding, uh, Deepening Our Experience in God. And um, I've, I've been encouraged by how God has been working in and through Strawn and through his story. Uh, so, Strawn, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Uh, it's good to be here with you. Kia ora, Eric. It's great to be with you. Such a pleasure and an honor to be here, actually, in this beautiful space. So, thank you. Hmm. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are, um, where you're at, and what you do right now, and before we get into your story. Yeah, so I uh, I am, as you said, a, a writer by trade at the moment, although music has been my, uh, my past, so... Mm. Classic artistic type, swinging and jumping around any form of, you know, intuitive expression that I can find, which probably says a lot about me as a person and who I am. I think I probably am an artist-hearted um, person. And uh, mm. so I love coffee. I love creation. I love people. Um, I live in New, in, in New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand, in a beautiful coastal white sand beach, mm. you know, near 
near paradisical uh, <laughs> town called Tairua um, with my wife. I've got three sons, Macal, mm. uh, Finley, and Theo, who are sort of all under 10, so 10, 8, and 4, and oh, they just fine. balls of fire, man. Love mm. them to pieces. They keep me fit, basically, mm. <laughs> <laughs> fit and, and, and tired and on my toes. Oh. Uh, yeah, so so that's me. I, I live here. I, um, I spend a lot of my time writing at the moment, mm. uh, and I, I teach sort of schools, uh, online schools of prayer, and write prayer books. And and really, my you know, as the book's titled, my my desire, my life is really given to helping others have a deeper and a deepening experience of God, because mm. I think it's possible to know Him and 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 not to know Him deeply, mm. um, as with all relationships. So yeah, that's mm. who I am. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I confess I'm a little bit envious of your uh, <laughs> environment. I I live in the middle yeah. of uh, Iowa, smack in the middle of the United States, and uh, okay. it's beautiful. It has its beauty, but um, when you talk about you know looking at the ocean and heading to the beach, uh, oh. not common experiences here in the middle of cornfields. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spent a bit of time up, up that way. And um, I mean, where I live now, morning, we wake up to the sound of water. We live on the beach. So we, we wake up to the sound of the waves. We go to the sleep to the sound of the waves. And mm. one of the things that just blew me away spending time in Iowa and Indiana and sort of that area was just A, the amount of corn just blew my <laughs> mind. I did not know it was humanly possible, but then B, how much how much you get tuned into water eh, and how hard it is to leave it once mm. you've been there. So. It's yeah. a blessing, but you do kind of get ruined for life. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your story, um, particularly about your story with uh, chronic illness. And um, mm. uh, yeah, I'll let you start your story wherever you'd like to start it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, gosh, it's so hard to start a, a story, you know, to find a beginning point with something like chronic mm. illness because, you know, it sort of creeps up on you over years. Mm. But I think the point where it became most um, drastic for me was that, I mean, I've wanted to be, I've been a songwriter since I was eight years old, you mm -hmm. know, I started writing my first lyrics and, and pay, I mean, pretty terrible stuff. But, you know, when I was eight and I knew then that what I wanted to do was give my life to music, to write, to, to write songs that inspired people. And uh, so I'd, I'd spent, you know, was in the peak of uh, a touring life, you know, touring the States, touring Europe and Australasia, uh, writing music and, and really living the dream. I mean, I was hmm. sort of mid-20s. Um, my wife and I'd been married for a couple of years. I'm getting to record sort of folk, psalmic music, you know, pick up my guitar, travel around the world. Uh, and, the, and the, you know, a big part of that for me was this sort of, um, this ability to bring love, to, mm. to bring the love of God through story, through to really encounter sort of transcendence with others in bars in the most unexpected places. And so my wife and I had been touring this particular tour through Germany and it was just going amazingly like, everything felt like it was coming together. You know, in the shows, I was getting like tri triple, quadruple encores and then mm. hours and hours of like, you know, some shows I had to play like for three hours long because people wow. wouldn't let me get off the stage, you know, just amazing electric energy. And um, yeah, came back from that tour, came back to New Zealand and it was as if walking off the plane, um, our whole lives just changed mm. in, a, in a drop of a dime. And it was the weirdest feeling. It kind of... Mm. It felt like it just 
it was like the world shifted. And from that moment, I knew I had sort of been unwell. I'd been sort of noticing as I toured that my body wasn't recovering very well. But what followed was basically two or three years of, of incredible sickness, um, basically being bedridden 80% mm. of the time for about two years. And mm. um, it was, the symptoms were just extreme fatigue and nausea and migraines and but as my immune system just crashed and I just started mm. to get virus after, I mean, it would be as if you, you know, was getting the actual flu every second week for three years. And so, um, we started seeing wow. doctors and the doctors didn't know what was going on. They gave me drugs, but they didn't do anything. I saw specialist after specialist. We spent all our money basically on mm. doctors and vitamins and things. None of it worked. And in the process, sort of lost my voice, lost my ability to sing, um, which meant that we lost my job. And by now we had our second son and um, I'm like, you know, unable to go out and work. I'm unable to sing. Um, we're living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. It was rated at the time, Auckland. The living costs were crazy. Hmm. Um, and so I think my crisis was was sort of threefold. There was the the physical crisis, which in itself is is really hard. There's the sense of like, am I going to get well? You know, I thought I was dying. Some of the doctors thought, I, you know, is there wow. cancer somewhere that I don't know about? Um, so there's that, um, and then there's the sort of the the sort of family crisis that we got no money. Now we're eating toast every night. You know, mm. we can't buy presents for our kids. We can't put petrol in our car to even drive to the supermarket. You know, that kind of thing. Then there's the mental crisis, which is sort of um, the battle you face in your mental health, the sorrow that comes, the anxiety that arrives when doctors can't diagnose you with anything and you're leaving your family destitute. And then I think on top of all of that, for me in particular, because I am such a, a God-oriented person, a real spiritual crisis of God, where are you? Like, mm -hmm. you know, here we are, we've given our life to your work. I'm now entering my late 20s. I've got no backup fund, no savings. We've given it all to you. Um, we've seen you heal people. We've seen you do amazing things and yet you're silent mm -hmm. and I'm sick. And this is not just for one month or th six months, it's now years. And so mm -hmm. I think for me, this this whole process was really like a crashing in of my humanity. It was sort of mm. everything came into question and it was it was a profound crisis point for me um, that that I wish I could say was just a week or two, but actually it was just month after month after mm. year after year. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm, I was caught by you, you know, saying, and it was the phrase that came to mind when you were describing what you were doing before you got ill, uh, living the dream. You know that's you know that's a musician's dream. Yep. Uh, people yeah. people are blessed by what you've been called to do. Um, you're getting to travel the world, even you know uh, you're standing on stage for three hours. That that uh, you know for mm -hmm. people maybe listening who haven't been on a stage before, whether it's speaking, singing, performing, uh, that is physically uh, that takes a lot of stamina. It's physical work, yeah. and. Uh, so to go yeah. from being a guy who's living the dream and able to do that to mm. suddenly you're stuck in bed, um, mm. that un unpack, what, what are you feeling in that time, in the middle of that? Man, I mean, so much. I think, I think there's a, a feeling that happens 
well, this is what happened to me at least. And I've heard others talk this way too. There's this feeling that that we go from feeling that we're in control of our life and we, mm. we don't really say that out loud. I don't think anyone would be brave enough to say that out loud. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm in control of everything that happens, but there is this deep sense of I'm working toward a life that I've given everything to build, that God has called me to, mm-hmm. that others recognize in me. Um and that life is is good, it's beautiful, it's exciting. And then suddenly this sickness comes along and it just it just kills it. It just mm. steals it. Mm. And I think there's a sense of um, shock, you know, almost like trauma of of whoa, like I'm I'm losing everything that I've sown in my life. Yeah. There's the surprise of it. And there's this sort of existential, what do I do when when I'm feeling life so out of control all of a sudden. And and in that space, a lot of anxiety can come, you know. And I, in those days, I was having like, sometimes I was having panic attacks like a couple of times a day. Um, mm. Part of the reality mm. of um, your nervous system crashing or your immune system crashing is that um, your body actually sends messages to your mind that that something's wrong, panic, panic messages. Yeah. And so anxiety and depression are very powerful um, side effects of um, immunal, immuni- mm-hmm. immunity issues. Mm. So I was in sorrow. I was having panic attacks and I'm thinking, you know, amidst all of that, I'm failing as a husband, I'm failing as a father, I'm failing as, as a, you know, Christian. I'm having this existential crisis of my life is out of control and I'm being faced with the question of what if I never get better? What if... What if this is it? I'm having to live in the tension of what if this isn't just a nice testimony that I get to look back on? You know, what if this is actually just the reality of the rest of my life? Mm. And and that that's, that was quite overwhelming mm. and terrifying for me. I, I hadn't really met something I hadn't been able to overcome mm. um, or to think my way through. And so I think that sense of sorrow, of grief, of anxiety, and of shock mm. – um, and as well, you know, I think you feel, you know, as a as a as a Christian, you you can feel sense of shame too. Like, yeah. um, why am I doubting this? Why am I not feeling more joy? You know, why? Where's my faith? Why am I not waking up and just bouncing out, being like, <laughs> rejoice in trials? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, I think even that can lay, even those voices can layer on and say, man, I thought you were bigger than this. I mm. thought you were more mature than this, or more spiritual, or whatever that language. And mm. I think. I think in those days when, you know, the problem with chronic, another issue with chronic sickness is the brain fog. You just can't rightly process the stuff. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like the cyclone of emotion. And mm. I think that I, you know, at different periods of that, we're really feeling that in, in really powerful ways. Mm. Thank you for drawing that connection between what we can experience mentally uh, when when our bodies physically are are crashing, you know, I think too many people go through health crises and are surprised by depression and anxiety and don't know what's going on. And um, to yeah. just think about the fact that you know, um, and, and you talk about this in your book, you know, that point in which God puts His face against Adam's and breathes life into him, and he becomes mm. a living soul. You know, we mm. we're physical, mental, spiritual beings, and and those aspects of mm. us are never they're always intertwined. And uh, yeah. we don't yeah. we don't get to separate those out, but we think we can. And mm. t- talk talk a little bit more about um, you know as you described your story, going from the dream to maybe the nightmare. 
Um, yeah. I was just thinking about Job's experience and yeah, and what you just said about. I think you were describing voices in your head of, man, I thought, you know, you thought you were a Christian. Why aren't you rejoicing? Why aren't you getting mm. out there? You know, and it, it just, mm. you know, it, it occurred to me like sometimes Job's friends are actual people who come say those things. And sometimes Job's, you know, Job's friends are us in, inside ourselves. Yeah. Talk, unpack yeah. a little bit more of that. What's going on inside of you spiritually as your body is collapsing? Yeah, it's uh, probably actually a... <laughs> A complicated answer because it's so much goes on simultaneously. You know, I think I think there was a real questioning for me of a lot of what I believed about God. Mm-hmm. Um, I came, I was sort of coming out of a pretty strong, charismatic Pentecostal background, and so there were definitely those kind of like God can do anything, heal anything. You know, if we have, if you believe enough, if you pray enough. Um, so that was there was a sense within me of like, am I at fault here? Am I is is my faith at fault here? Um, but then there was this beauty that was arising out of it too, where there was this. I mean, you just become so stripped back, so emotionally, mentally, spiritually naked. You know, you just mm. end up basically saying, "I got nothing else to hide." Like I am, you know, and I think that. I think that's something that suffering in crisis does mm. is it just strips away so much of our sort of false fortresses of that we put around ourselves. And so I think in my barrenness, I was able to basically begin to say to God, this is what you get. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, if this is, if it's me you want, this is mm. the, the me that really is like, I can mm. no longer be the preacher. I can no longer be the Mm. musician. I can no longer be the person that can perform faith and prayer. I'm exhausted. I can't string Mm. thoughts together in my own mind. I can't Mm. pray like I used to. Um, God, if you love me, like if you really are a God of love, then this has to be what you love or, or I'm out. Like there is no other way Mm. because I have nothing left to give. And, Mm. and, and I say that as a beauty because, um, God's love for that person, for that strawn, that was always true. Mm-hmm. I had just never received it as true. And for mm. the first time in my life, I was able to look in the mirror and see what I wasn't and accept that, not with some kind of stoic, um, you know, oh, well, I'll just never be better than this or I'll never, whatever. Not like that, but in this, like, this is the me that God lives in and loves mm. and longs for. Therefore, this love is astounding. Yeah. And so this sense of, God, if you love me like this, what a love. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I am, oh, I got nothing. I am a heavy weight yes. on you, God, and yet oh. you love me. And, it, and I just started to feel this liberation. And even in the midst of my sickness, there was this sense of, wow, that's what the goodness of God is? Yeah. Like, this is the goodness of God? This is what love is? Like, hang on a second. I think I've I've been playing in the shallows for a lot, a long time. Mm. Like, um, I felt like I started to receive salvation. Um, it was as if God was burrowing deeper into me and uh, and I was being liberated. So, so, yeah, I guess those two things spiritually, one, this sense of like self-reflection and self-criticism and self-disappointment, 
but then simultaneously this liberation from all that into mm. the arms of divine love, which was mm. greater than I could have ever imagined. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That is that is such good news. Um, yeah. Just to hear you say, like, God, of, if you want me, this is what you get. Um, mm. We... Yeah, it's so human, isn't it, to want to make ourselves something that we can commend ourselves to God. If if He's mm. going to love it, I'm going to earn it. And yeah, to, <laughs> to be nothing before Him and be loved yeah. is is amazing. I'm I'm thinking of you know what came to mind as you were describing that was you know in the book of Hebrews where it said that because you know Jesus was coming just to save brothers and sisters who are flesh and blood that he had to share mm. in our humanity. And mm. um, the author says, uh, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect mm. to be a great and merciful high mm. priest. And mm. and, I, and I've been meditating that on, recent, on that verse recently. And so, as I hear you say how you've been brought to nothing, I'm thinking about Christ on the cross being brought to nothing. <laughs> You know, yeah, um, yeah. Who, how, who did you find Jesus to be in the middle of all that? Mm. The the person I found to be in God was compassion. Mm. You know, I was, I was just meditating this morning on that passage. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that is just such a nice theology. Mm. It's such a nice theology. And it's very easy to live our lives believing that but never experiencing that. Now, you can mm. only experience compassion when you suffer. You know, you can't, you know, compassion, mm-hmm. it, it's the whole point of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It arrives to you yeah. in suffering. Um, you can only experience God's patience when it takes you a long time to come round, you know, you can only experience God's steadfast mm. love when time and time again you fail. And so there's a sense in which our deepest crisis, our deepest inabilities, mm. our greatest shortfalls and weaknesses and failures are precisely the place in which we experience God as compassion and love. And so in my suffering, what I found was that. God didn't speak, he didn't give me answers. I wanted answers, the why questions, you know. Why am I sick? Why aren't you speaking? Why won't you provide for us? Um, but what, what those questions transformed into were who question, Who are you really then? Hmm. And, and I think when I switched from why is this happening to who are you in the midst of this, like who are hmm. you then, God? What I felt wasn't, what I received wasn't answers. What I received was a sense of his embrace and his weeping mm. with me. Mm-hmm. It was his sorrow for what I experienced. And I, I don't really know how to explain that. It wasn't like a single moment of, you know, some kind of experience. It was just this slow, gradual, like, when I, when I think of you, God, I think you're crying with me, you know, like I weep with mm. my sons. You know, I think about, you know, when yeah. when kids are sick, they're just so miserable. Proper flu, they've got a temperature. Now, as a as a father, I know it's going to pass. As a father, I know what's going on. They've got a flu. To a three year old, explaining, "Hey, it's going to pass," means nothing. 
what a three-year-old doesn't yeah. need your scientific explanation of the virus. They just need you to hold them in your arms, rock them back and forth and just say, dad's here. I love you. I'll stay up all night with you. Yeah. And what I experienced mm. in my sickness was that father, the God who mm. knew that no answer could, what I, what I was asking wasn't give me, give me an answer because no answer could satisfy. The world's a broken oh. place. It's so many, there's so much complexity to suffering. Instead, what I experienced was God wrapping his arms around me and rocking back, up, you know, back and forth on the chair and saying, Strawn, I'll stay up as long as we need to. Just know mm. I love you. Mm. And that's compassion. And so mm. who God was to me then was just, was just the warm embrace, mm. the warm embrace of compassion and love. Hey friend, whether you've been a faithful listener to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast or you've just found us, I know the stories that we share here of people walking through trauma, tragedy, and major life transition can be extremely inspirational. One of the threads I hope that you see is that these people who have or are walking through pain on the podcast haven't just settled for the hurt that they've experienced. They believe that even in the midst of all their suffering, there is a way forward, that God has something more for them than just pain. And they also see the agency they have in their own lives to partner with God to take back their stories. It's that same kind of hope, the hope of real people walking through real valleys while experiencing real healing that our Pain to Purpose course offers. We've guided now hundreds of people just like you through all sorts of pain points and have helped them find hope and purpose through it, even in the midst of it. We have countless stories of the way God has brought healing two people through the Pain to Purpose course, but I want you to hear this one from Katie. I realized that based on past hurt from just different Christian leaders that I had encountered during, because I grew up in church, that a lot of what they did to me, I was projecting onto God. So the Pain to Purpose course helped me to realize that I had a distorted view of God. It was a great moment because I got to realize that and then work to reframe my perspective of God. Maybe you need help like Katie did in reframing your perspective on who God is uh, after what you've been through, or, or perhaps you need to learn how to even begin to identify your hurt and how it's impacting your life right now. No matter where you are, the Pain to Purpose course will give you the tools to heal and find hope. You can sign up for the Pain to Purpose course at course.nothingiswasted.com. Again, course.nothingiswasted.com or click the links below or in the show notes if you're listening to this on a podcast platform. There you will have access to all the course videos and everything you need to start moving forward from pain into purpose. You don't have to wait another second to start the journey towards healing and wholeness. Go to course.nothingiswasted.com. I love your comment as you're talking about God being compassionate and gracious and saying it's a nice theology. You know, it's it's mm. it's one of those nice verses to put on a coffee mug. Um yeah. But you don't you don't get it till you need it. <laughs> and um yeah. Being needy isn't fun. Um but it's where we find who God is is for us and um, you know, thinking about that Hebrews passage where it says that, um, you know, later on, I think it's in chapter four where he says that, you know, he was, he was tempted as we are tempted. So, so that 
uh, you know, he could sympathize. Mm. He can sympathize. Christ can sympathize with our weaknesses. Like, not just, mm. it's not head knowledge for God. You know, like, mm. theology can't just be head knowledge for us. It's, he's actually experienced it in the flesh. And yeah. um, that, that's one of the things I've loved about your book, Beholding, is the way you've really, I think you really challenged the readers to relate to God. Um, mm. Can you unpack some of that and what that looked like for you? What, what do you talk talk about that? What it means to to have a relationship with mm. God? Well, I, I do think that we have a tendency to depersonalize God, mm-hmm. and in some ways, the journey of my suffering was a movement from the depersonalization of God to the personalization of God. Mm. Um. But to do that, we have to give up on this post-enlightened concept that we have to understand to experience, right? I mean, we just don't apply that to anything in the world. If I had to understand the aerodynamics of an aeroplane, I would never get in it. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. We fall in love. Yeah. We fall in love with people long before we understand them. I mean, we might think we understand them, but let's be honest. Marriage is sort of the the long drawn out um, story of realizing you know nothing about the person you you know you fell in love with yeah. at first, and that's a good thing. So I, I think that. We depersonalize God by making him a very cognitive theological system. It's easy, you know, mm. there, and, and there are lots of great mm-hmm. cognitive theological systems to rationalize suffering, to rationalize God. But that's that's no more mm. knowing God than reading someone's biography is knowing them. Do you know what I mean? I can, I can yeah, read all yeah. about your life in a book, wow. but that doesn't make you personal to me. That just means I know about you. And I think we can run the danger mm. of knowing the scriptures well, knowing the story of God well, knowing theology inside out, and yet it's still remaining a biography of a God that we, we can't experience. Um, and I, I think what I'm trying to say in Beholding is this thing is actually about a coexistence with God, about knowing Him. Uh, and, and there's a couple of ways that we can do that. We have to open up and let Him in because He can't know – he, we can't know him unless we let him into us. Um, but more than that, it needs to be an experience. You know, it need, we need to learn how to welcome that truth down into our bodies, into our nervous systems, into our minds. Mm. Um, and my sort of um, direction in that is this idea of beholding, which is gazing into God as he gazes into into us lovingly. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, I teach uh, a prayer school and you know with students from all over the place and we do it on Zoom and just last week someone was talking about how when they prayed they just sort of came to prayer and said okay God whatever you want to do you can do it mm. um, you know and, and I'm open mm. and they were saying that actually recently what they felt challenged to do was say no actually I want to receive you God as compassionate as con- as kind and as love so I'm actually going to focus my attention on the experience of not just a God, but on the God of love and compassion. Mm. I want to experience, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to apply my faith that in this moment when God thinks of me, he's actually smiling with delight. Not that he's waiting to punish me or criticize me, but that he, he is pouring love out mm. on me. And so beholding is gazing upon God with our hearts. It's not a visual thing. You know, it's just how do we look with mm-hmm. our hearts upon kindness and love and receive that 
into our very being. Mm. And, you know, it may sound trivial, you know, and it won't happen overnight, but day after day of just turning up and just receiving God as loving kindness towards me Mm. begins to reshape our minds. It begins to reshape our bodies. Uh, You know, there's interesting science and neuroscience talks about this, um, these neurons in our brain called mirror neurons. Mm. And that the role these mirror neurons have is that when they are looking at somebody else as they share their story, or even as they suffer, Mm -hmm. these mirror neurons literally replay that person's emotions in our own minds. Mm. So like a film, it plays their experience into our minds, and this is how we develop empathy. Mm. So basically what these mirror neurons are saying is when you sit with someone in grief or Mm. love or Mm. joy, their grief becomes yours. Their joy becomes yours. So in beholding God and spending every day just sitting before Him and saying, God, like for me, God, I don't understand why I'm sick. I don't understand why you're not answering my prayers, but I choose to believe what you said is true, that you're loving and kind and generous and compassionate, and I receive you now. I receive that experience into my mind and my body. And just to sit there, literally my my mirror neurons fire up Hmm. and I start to become more loving, more compassionate. In other words, my brain starts to imitate the presence of God and I'm I'm physically transformed, which is what Paul says when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mm. minds. Mm-hmm. How does that take place? Mm-hmm. Because as we meditate upon God's love and experience that, we are literally, our physicality, our nefesh, our soul, is the hardwiring of our body is, is yeah. transformed. Oh, isn't that amazing? That I is amazing. That so beautiful. Oh, that is, uh, as I thought about you, you know, you mentioning, um, what relationships look like, not just an intellectual understanding. I'm, I'm thinking of yeah. in Genesis where, you know, Moses records that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. Um, mm. You know, God didn't show up with a whiteboard of like, here's, here's the three points I'm going to teach you about myself today. And, mm. and I don't think he expected Adam and Eve to show up with a, a list of okay here's what we need you to do for us today you know it was mm-hmm. it, it was a relationship mm-hmm. and i'm i'm sure you know the first time they they saw a frog jump and laughed god laughed too with them and yeah. um yeah um but that yeah but that idea of um yeah we become what we behold we mirror that and yeah. that um i what the verse that came to mind when you were talking about the mirror neurons and uh, was, was, um, yeah, man, it's just amazing how God, how God makes us and then says these things in scripture. But in, at the end of second Corinthians three, where he says um, that we with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord mm-hmm. and are being mm-hmm. transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. way we become transformed into the image of Jesus is by looking at his glory. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Now it's profound. Unpack that in prayer because uh, prayer includes petitions and supplications and those sorts yep. of things. But we definitely do tend to think of prayer as I'm going to bring my list to God. Mm. Um, mm. And it's not that that list is necessarily wrong, but that's not all. 
uh, yeah. un- unpack yeah. what it means to behold God as we pray. So there's a, a few a few sort of dimensions to that, but maybe a, a helpful image, um, one that I talk a little bit about in the book is if we imagine, so imagine there's a river and this river is God, it's his spirit, it's his life. Um, we can sort of enter that river in two ways. You know, we can we can wade in and just lie on our backs and just experience the flow of the river. You know, I remember doing this as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uncle took me to this kind of really dense bush river and we just all put wetsuits on, lay on our backs and we just floated down. It took us hours. It was amazing. Mm. And in that process, we're just sort of, we're carried by the spirit. We're, we're carried by God. We're in his waters and we're just in awe. Mm. We're just... Att- maybe attentive is a great word. We're noticing. We're uh, eyes up around us, looking at the at the the trees on the side, the sun. We're just enveloping the experience. But we can also wade into the river with a kayak, you know, and we can navigate mm-hmm. the eddies and the rocks, and we can participate with the river with our own energy and and mm-hmm. participation. Both. In both, the energy and the life comes from the river. You know, you mm. can't kayak on on dry ground, right? No. So either way, we should be praying in the spirit, and and that's what that means to me. Praying in the spirit is listening and following God's lead in intercession, petition, repentance. We follow His lead by co-laboring, by bringing ourselves and our experiences mm. to it. Mm. With beholding, we're we're lying. We're we're just experiencing, floating in the in mm. the love and the presence of God. So the way that the great prayers throughout history, the monastics, the historical church, um, think about unceasing prayer mm-hmm. is about this continual attentiveness to God. Mm. It's kind of not so much conscious mental dialogue all the time. You know, when mm-hmm. Paul says, pray at all times and unceasing prayer, and you're like, how can you do that? i got a job, you know, <laughs> yeah. some, you know what I mean? He was writing but a letter what, what when he, he said that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So um, what he doesn't mean is focus on words in your mind all the time toward God. What he means is learn to have a disposition of openness and attentiveness to God mm. in um, in all things you do. So um, the the church fathers used to call this nepsis or watchfulness. Mm. And the way that you could illustrate that is, you know, if you're ever talking to a parent and, you know, um, you're at their house and their kids are going crazy and the parent's just totally locked into the conversation with you and you're distracted as, and then things go quiet for like 10 seconds and both the parents look at each other and they're like, what's going on? You know, somehow, (laughs) even though they're completely engaged in conversation with you, they're just aware. And that's Mm -hmm. what unceasing, that's what beholding is. It's Mm. like, no matter what you're doing, you just have this awareness of God and that awareness of God is the presence mm. of God in our hearts. And that's what the divine gaze mm. is. It's not so much 100% focus all the time. I'm going to leave the world and go and sit in a room and just stare at God. It's the sense of, as I'm doing the dishes, as I'm going about work, how can I have an open disposition toward receiving the love of God and the compassion mm. of God while I openly mm. love and share compassion with Him? And so... um that's that's for me. And out of that place comes intercession. Out of that place comes repentance. Yeah. In fact, intercession and repentance is a better addition to that kind of prayer life um, than the reverse. Mm-hmm. Because what I find is as I open myself to gaze upon the beauty of God and receive His compassion, 
that compassion now rises up in me and pours itself out over other people in prayer. Hmm. So I, I think what I want to say in beholding is that prayer is the process of continual, continually receiving God's mm. love mm. and that we're building lives of openness toward receiving that. Mm. And everything else is downriver from that. That's the, that's the waterfall. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The waterfall is simply receiving God's love, intercession, petition, praise, yeah. repentance. That's all downriver. It all flows out of that. But if we don't have this essential communion with God that is about beingness and not mm. doingness, um, then I think those other things will remain mm. powerless. And this is intuitive to us because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we fall in love not to get administration done, mm-hmm. you know, to pay off a mortgage or to, you know, we fall in love to be with somebody. And so what I'm saying yeah. in prayer is like, we need to get back to this in the church. Yeah. We need to fall in love with God in that sense of, I want to be with God. Mm-hmm. Everything else will flow mm-hmm. from that. But if I'm not being with God, I'm not experiencing Him. And ultimately, I'm not worshiping Him. I'm not making Him the object of greatest worth. I'm making our work the object of greatest worth. And and what human person wants to be loved for what they do? How much more God? Hi, friend. I don't know what brought you to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, but... If I had to guess, it was probably your own pain story. In fact, maybe you recently found us in the work that we do because you're going through some kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. Uh, Maybe you've recently gotten a phone call with the unexpected diagnosis, or you've lost a loved one, or you found out about your spouse's sexual betrayal. Maybe your grief is extremely fresh, and right now you're wondering, what what do I even do? How do I move forward? What, What am I supposed to do right now? Listen, I've been there. And we know how the early days after loss or receiving the diagnosis or getting that unexpected news or learning about a betrayal or whatever it is you're facing, we know that life in those moments can be extremely disorienting and and difficult. It's hard to think about anything but how to survive from minute to minute in this, um, you know, I almost hate this term, but in this new normal. We want to help you as you enter into life that especially when it takes this different direction than what you've ever imagined. Now, we have a course called Pain to Purpose course, and we know that it's so helpful for those who have had a, a handful of months to already process their pain, but we knew we needed something for those who have just found themselves in the middle of it, like their lives have just flipped upside down. And, and so we've created this new four-session mini course called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. Now, in this course, you'll hear from me as well as our Nothing Is Wasted podcast co-host, Aubrey Sampson, and our community director, Amy Sylvester. And we're going to be talking about practical ways to support yourself during this season. We'll talk about how to lament and, and what you need in order to take the first steps forward after your life is forever changed. Now, the sessions are intentionally concise because when you're processing trauma or grief, it can be very difficult to engage with a whole lot of information. But within these sessions, you'll get the encouragement to know you're not alone in in what you're feeling, as well as some practical next steps on what to do in the aftermath of your pain. This isn't some theoretical idea on how to deal with what you're going through. It's real tried and true wisdom from others who have been where you are and have gone through cataclysmic shifts in their lives. 
I wish I would have had this kind of practical wisdom in the beginning of my own pain to purpose journey, but I'm so excited that we get to share this resource with you. It's the exact resources that I needed. And so in order to access this, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. And you can purchase this course or better yet, you can join community plus at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus, And you can access this in addition to all of our other resources behind our content library immediately. Look, I'm so sorry for the pain that you're walking through. And I want to encourage you that you can walk through this with hope and life. It can have hope again, even when everything changes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking there, you know, you're talking about the how much more natural the intercession and petition and so forth comes when we've been beholding God in yeah. in that kind of relationship with Him. I'm I'm, I'm just thinking about places t- Jesus taught on prayer, and mm. uh, you know the ask, seek, knock. Um, him saying, mm. "Evil fathers, you know, earthly fathers, unrighteous fathers, know how to give good gifts to their children." Um, how much more mm. your Father in heaven? Um, don't be anxious because your Father knows before you ask Him. Um, the, the principle there seems to be uh, you're able to ask because you know what kind of father he is. If if we don't know yeah. him as father, mm. we're not, you know, if if you know your father and who he is, it comes naturally to go ask him uh, for yeah. what you need. It's it's an overflow of that. You know, when yeah. I when I hear um, I just I I love I love this idea about it's so helpful about walking in a consciousness of who God is and that he's with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you do, you unpack that so well in your book, Beholding. And I know for me, the first times I would, I've encountered that kind of thinking and that mindset, I would think to myself, well, yeah, that would be nice if I had the perfect quiet environment and, you know, basically if life stopped, then I could do that. Um, Mm -hmm. or, um, you're in the middle of trauma and you have the brain fog and you, um, you can't think clearly and everything just feels like chaos in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to the person who's there and says, Mm -hmm. how can I behold in the middle of chaos when my, everything's, you know, I can't even think straight. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, at the heart of all of this sort of theology of prayer and of who God is and of love, um, I think we want to say this is something to be received in the sense that um, mm. yes, prayer, like let's begin with, with God. God is Father, Spirit, Son. He is in eternal conversation with himself. He never stops communicating love. Mm. And New Testament theology is this, that in Christ, we are welcomed into that experience. So we are in Christ, Christ is in God. Therefore, in this strange way, we are already always participating in the the divine dialogue of love between Father, Spirit, Mm. and Son. So, there's an effortlessness to this that I think 
we've missed in the church that I never the I never begin prayer. I never mm. I don't create the river. I don't start the river. I don't get it flowing. I just step into it. Um, and so there's a sense in which mm. it you know which actually sometimes in our busiest, most exhausted is the time to to learn this because what we're doing is we're simply saying, God, I, I receive your life. I mean, that's really that simple. As as often as we can remember, we just say, I receive your love. Mm. I receive your presence. I re-. So I think we don't work for this. We can't work for this. How can Amen. we earn God's love? How can we earn prayer? There's two powerful scriptures. One, and um, so actually both Hebrews and Romans talk about the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And I think it's Hebrews uses the language and lives to intercede for us. Hmm. In other words, um, Christ is always praying. That's his priestly role. And there's another uh, passage in Romans where he says, we don't know what to pray, but the Spirit <laughs> yes. himself intercedes for us with groans with an understanding. So, Two things are going on. We're in Christ and Christ is praying. By the way, he's praying for you all the time. And mm. Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit and he's always praying. So we are vessels of prayer. What we need to do is simply just say yes. Mm. And so if, you, if you're listening and you're like, man, I am not a good prayer and I'm exhausted. And when I go to pray, I feel brick walls and emptiness. Um, my encouragement to you would just be in your heart and in your mind, to just learn to say yes, mm. to just learn to imagine as if you're suddenly open to that life that is already praying within you, uh, to the love that already exists for you, above you, through you, and in you. And if you can learn throughout your day to as often as you can simply say yes to that love, to just say, mm. hi, God, or to say, I receive, or anything like that, mm. then you will grow and develop a profound life of connection with God. Well, thank you for that, Strawn. Um this can be, you know, this idea of of, of receiving um, who God is for us, uh, walking in that that reality. That can be new to someone. So for the person who's listening to this, going, "Yeah, I I, I want that. I want to walk in. I want to receive." Um, you teach and uh, guide people in in learning how to pray. Uh, what would you say mm. to the person? Try this today. Well, it, it, we, you know, we're all so unique and we all have so many different ways of, of expressing ourselves and, and pouring our hearts out to God and receiving Him. So I, I would just sort of premise whatever I'm about to say with that, that mm-hmm. there is no one size fits all with prayer. You know, I think I used to think there's a way to pray, Um and I just got to figure it out. You know, it's got to clock it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some important things in prayer. And I think when it when it comes to this, honesty and vulnerability, like transparency, um, is the place in which we are able to be fully loved by God. And so mm. uh, one thing I've done for a long time is actually prayer journaling, which sounds kind of left field from what we've been talking about. But um in prayer journaling, I simply begin with the words, good morning, Father, or, you know, mm-hmm. good afternoon, Father. And I start that way because I want to frame everything that follows um, within this familial acceptance, this relationship, mm. this family love. 
And then I just pour out all of my feelings and thoughts without filter, mm. without worrying about offending him. I purely just, mm-hmm. and, and I write as though he's listening and mm-hmm. as though he cares. And what that does is it begins to build a relationship where we talk about our feelings, emotions, and experiences with God in an honest mm. way. And sometimes receiving God's love is just about being able to give, give, give him everything. <laughs> you know, like when I was yeah. in my worst suffering, some of my prayers were like, I'm furious with you. Mm-hmm. I can't stand you right now. Like mm-hmm. what you've done this to me, you know, stuff that gets you in a bit of trouble. Yeah. But it was God being able to hear that, that grew mm-hmm. intimacy. So if I would say, be honest. If you're a writer or if a mm-hmm. journaler, just pray right. Just say good morning, Father, and let him have it. Um, then the other thing that I would suggest is just to simply, in whatever quiet moment of your day you can, just to sit, close your eyes, to take a few deep breaths, just breathe deeply into your stomach and simply say, God, I am fully available to you. Hmm. And just to sit in silence. Um, and you know, if you're not used to silence, it, thoughts will rush. It will feel strange and mm-hmm. you know obscure. And if that happens, just don't stress about. This is being a human being. Like we're not mm-hmm. it's being silent before God isn't about emptying our heads or emptying ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. It's about mm-hmm. filling our heads and selves with God. Mm-hmm. So when we do silence like that, we just simply keep returning our awareness back to God whenever we can. We could just do that by mm-hmm. saying Jesus. Whenever my mind runs mm-hmm. off, I just say Jesus. That's what I do. And I just return mm-hmm. and deep breaths. But what just sitting before God in silence and stillness does is it just gives him the floor. And if you focus in that time on his love and compassion, if you meditate on that, you will be filled with the sense of his presence, with his presence of love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And if you could just sit in silence for five minutes, even just staring at a blank candle in the morning and at a candle and lit candle in the morning and just say, God, I'm, I want to be with you. Will you be with me? Mm-hmm. It may sound trivial, but it will begin to build an intimacy between you and God. Um, mm-hmm. And just, just in case you think that's some kind of perfect thing, when I started doing this, it was when my second son was sleeping in 40-minute lots. He's, my son only slept for 40 minutes at a time for about two or mm. three years. I was a wreck. Wow. And he would get up at about... <laughs> Four 4.30 in the morning for the day. So I would make a coffee. I'd sit in my bed. Him and my, his elder brother would be out there throwing things, screaming things. I was exhausted. I was tired. I would just put my coffee on my lap for 20 minutes and say, God, I want to mm. be with you. Will you be with me? And that's mm-hmm. the best I could do. That's all I'm talking about. Mm. It's not, don't over-spiritualize mm. it too much. Mm-hmm. Um So silence, prayer journaling. And then the third thing that I teach, and this is in the book, is this exercise called the window of the soul. And it's just an imaginative exercise to help us open up. And the way that I do that is I sit and imagine deep in my stomach is my very being, all my good stuff, my bad stuff, my anxiety, my joys, my past, my present, my future. And I just almost feel the weight of my existence, you know, kind of like the psalmist that say, awake my soul. I want to feel my soul. Hmm. And then I imagine that there's just outward opening doors over top of that soul. And I imagine opening those doors up to God and allowing his light and his love to pour into the very deepest, darkest, intense parts of myself. And I just sit there and I hold that sense of God. You can see right, all's available. Nothing's off the table. So those three exercises are just ways of, mm. of entering into 
Um, but some people will find this easy to do walking in nature. They'll just feel mm-hmm. this connection. And to, to see that as valid, that when you're out there and you have this wonder connection, you are beholding God. You are experiencing the stillness of His love pouring in. Mm-hmm. So th- these are just different ways. But I think what's important is it's not about us becoming some hyper-spiritual, levitating, you know, we're not talking about emotional yeah. experiences all the time. Yeah. We're simply about choosing to be, to make room to be with God. Hmm. And if nothing happens, to still see that as beautiful because what we're doing is we're being attentive to Him, not demanding things in return. And that's that's mm. what beholding is about. It's mm. it's being with God as the end, not mm. having an experience or whatever is it's adoring him. So those are a few ways. I hope I haven't overcomplicated by saying too much. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's good. And I I just want to reinforce there what you said. I think it's so important that idea about being honest with God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people get uncomfortable with uh, the sense of expressing anger um, or telling God how you're feeling. And of, mm-hmm. and of course, we're made to love God, not to hate God. Mm. If in that moment we hate God, mm. that's who we are in that moment. And God knows that. And yeah. who better to take that to than him? <laughs> um, yeah. To say, oh, God, my heart h- hates you. I'm angry with you right now. Mm. And, you know, if my if my child hated me... um. I would want him to sit down with me and say, Dad, I really hate you right now. Yeah. And can we fix this? <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, and you know. Because it's in, that, it, it's in that expression of his honesty that demonstrates his true love, yeah. right? If he really hated you, yes. he would never say that. <laughs> But if he longs for yes. restoration, he will he will give you the the honor of saying, Dad, I hate you. I don't want to be this way. Can we work this out? That's true love. Yeah. And, and I'm just so glad yes. you said that because as a father, that connects with me so deeply. And it's, um, yeah. And I, I love what you just said about how the fact that he, he's willing to say it shows he doesn't really hate you. He's, yeah. he's there. And yeah. he's trusting that that relationship can be restored. And that's that's one thing the Lord's been teaching me in prayer recently is just throughout the day to be able to say, okay, God, here's what I'm feeling and here's what I'm mm. thinking. And I don't even understand it. Um, mm. But I don't want to feel this way. Or, hmm. or I'm going into this situation where, God, I should, I'm going to visit someone as a pastor and go, God, I, I should feel a great deal of compassion towards this person. Hmm. And I just feel totally indifferent right now. Um, hmm. You know, to say, go in, you're going to go in there with me. You know, hmm. help me to feel what you feel. Um, Beautiful. Is, and, and, you know, that relationship with the, why is it that we can call him father? But, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the cross, I love what you say in your book about the gospel, looking at the cross beyond, beyond 
the transaction of Christ dying for our sins and giving us his righteousness for forgiveness. Yeah. It, yeah. That transaction happens for that reconciliation. And so, mm. if I hate, if I'm feeling like I hate God, I can sit down with him and tell him that because I know he doesn't hate me. He's proven it yeah. at the cross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't have to hide my sin because mm. he's already dealt with it. Mm. It's, man, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, and, it, and, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, and who are the people who miss Jesus the most? The people who pretended, the Pharisees. That's what hypocrisy yeah. is. Hypocrisy is just pretending. Hypocrisy yeah. is is living two lives. God, Jesus, mm. God cannot heal and He cannot love what we don't give Him. You know what I mean? In that sense of our deepest parts. Mm. Mm. Um, how, how do I explain that? Um, I mean, any human relationship is the same. You can only know someone to the extent in which they self-disclose. That's why marriage is the most mm-hmm. intimate relationship because there is the greatest mm-hmm. willing for self-disclosure. You can have all of me. In fact, you can even have my body, which is the greatest act of, of vulnerability, right? And so, if we want to experience God, for starters, He lives in us already. So, before the word gets to your mouth, God, I hate you, your heart has already revealed it. You know what I mean? Like there is no hiding mm-hmm. our emotions and our mm-hmm. depths from God. So, there is a liberation in knowing that the naming is for us. The languaging is mm. for us. It's for us to become free, but God knows yeah. already. And secondly, um, my, my children have said that to me a lot. Dad, I hate you. You know, mm-hmm. my, he's eight years old. He didn't get an ice cream. He's really cranky because he's had a full day at school and he's exhausted. He has no idea why he is saying that he hates me. He's got no idea. He's just a kid with mm-hmm. intense emotions going through something he can't understand. And how do I receive it when he says he hates me? I mean, I'm not going to lie. hurts a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm mm-hmm. older than him. I'm wiser than him. I'm big enough to say, let's talk in, a, in about an hour. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, have something to yeah. eat. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. have something to eat. Let's just, you know, I'm not going to come here on with you right now. And later on, he inevitably always says, I love you, Dad. Yeah. And so, in those moments of honesty and vulnerability, God's there. And you talked about this gospel of reconciliation. And I think I think our biggest one of our biggest barriers to intimacy with God is that we think the primary reason that Jesus came and died on the cross was to forgive our sin. And if the New Testament is anything to go by, that's actually not true. The primary reason Christ came and lived and died and rose again was to restore friendship. And Sin was the thing he had to deal with to to restore mm-hmm. friendship. Yes. But it wasn't the goal. Mm-hmm. And that matters because if you think the primary purpose that Jesus came to for us was to fix sin, then everything sin is the primary, it's the center of all dialogue. You yeah. know? That's yeah. why you'll only want to intercede or do petition or praise. You'll be too afraid to be with God. Sin mm-hmm. will be the first thing you pray with. You know, the Lord's prayer doesn't start with sin. But I would beg to argue that probably 90% of people when they pray begin with repentance mm. um, because they feel like that's, that's the greatest barrier. Yeah. Um, but before repentance in the, in, the, in the Lord's prayer comes, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, you're amazing. Your kingdom come. What's his kingdom? Love, peace, patience, joy, gentleness, self-control, presence. By saying your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying let my life be filled with your goodness. 
um, as it, on earth as it in him, and give us today our daily bread, so provide for us, and then forgive us our sins. So praise, receiving the fullness of God, asking for him to meet our needs, all come before repentance. Mm. Yet we've somehow preached the gospel as such that when we come to God, we think all he sees is sin. All he sees is you've got a sin problem and it's a barrier. Rather than saying when we come to God, all he sees is his child whom he adores and longs for and is smile and full of joy that they're, that they're returning to him. Mm. And if we can't flip that script, if we can't see the gospel as the invitation to friendship before anything else, prayer will always be exhausting. It will be terrifying. We'll yeah. subconsciously never want to do it. We'll constantly feel like we're not good enough. And we will be obsessed with sin where God isn't. And so I think this whole thing of like being honest with God, being vulnerable mm. and transparent is another way of saying you've overcome sin. And so I don't have to bear the burden of fear yeah. any longer. Mm. So I, I think there's a lot in that that yeah. that theologically we can say, but actually learning to experience that and live that out is yeah. uh, is a yeah. kind of salvation for many of us. Yeah, I love that forgiveness of sins as a means to an end. It's yeah. it's what had to happen so the relationship could be there, and yeah, the the gospel tells us that through Christ's death and resurrection, He has. He's cast our sins into the heart of the sea and mm. he doesn't remember them anymore. And yeah. to, like, I, you know, if I, if I have completely forgotten about the way my son offended me and he wants to begin every conversation with me about that time he offended me, sooner mm. or later I'm going to say, why are you putting on the, at the center of the table what I've, I've buried in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, that's... Yeah. That's... Oh, um, I mean, imagine if every night at the end of the day, you sat down for dinner and the first thing your kid said was, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this. You'd just be like, bud, like, sure, mm -hmm. yeah, that's fine. But why is that the first thing out of your mind? I want to hear how your day yeah. was. What did you do? What did you learn? Yeah. Who did you play with? And I just think how much yeah. grief God must experience that despite his extravagant love, despite his overwhelming demonstration of the lengths, he is willing to go to say, we are friends, that we are unable to bring anything to him other than shame still. Yeah. And I think we have to question the gospel we've preached, yeah. that this is where the majority of the church is stuck in prayer. And I, yeah. I'd beg to argue that yeah. almost everyone I talk to struggles with this. It's not a singular mm -hmm. issue. Um, no, not and at all. I think in these days God wants to liberate us from that. Yeah, and you know I think the person listening who might be struggling there is like, well, where does that come in in prayer, and uh, what do I do with that when that's at the center of my forefront? And you know we've had that conversation. We've been talking about you know us as fathers with our sons coming to us, and mm. um, when I think about what what does it look like for my son whom I love to come confess to me. It's, um, I think about him not hiding anymore. And you said so well earlier that the the naming is for us, um, mm. not for him. He, he already knows it. Uh, mm. But if my son, you know, what I want him to do is not come say, you know, you see the father and the, and the prodigal son 
when the son's like, I, I, I'm not even worthy to be your slave. You know, let me work in your house. And, and he's, mm-hmm. he's like, he doesn't even listen to it. He's just hugging him and getting ready to throw the party. Mm-hmm. If my son comes to me to, dad, I need to confess something to you. I want it to be, dad, I need help. Mm-hmm. This is, this, this I've, I've been doing this stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and I need your help. I, I don't want to yeah. do it anymore. Not, Dad, I'm afraid to tell you about this because I think you might hate me. Yeah. You know? And yeah. if if God's our Redeemer, um, mm. that's why He wants us to name it. Um, yeah, and I, I love us. that, yeah, I love that you said that He wouldn't be afraid. And yeah. I think about that passage, perfect love drives out all fear. This is this hmm. is probably one of the biggest lessons for me over these years is that we think of repentance so negatively but repentance is total freedom. All repentance is hmm. is transparency. That's all. All repentance is is not hiding. That's totally mm-hmm. different to repentance being something we de- need to do to be loved. Hmm. And so if God is perfect love, then repentance is us simply saying you saw it I felt it or I did it. I love you. You love me in my brokenness. Help me to change. That's it. Mm. Yeah. It's just simply saying, here's this thing that I am that you've loved all along that I'm stuck in. Mm. Let's talk about it. Mm. But I'm going to be open with you because I am completely unafraid. There is nothing, no height, nor depth, no angel, nor demon, nothing in heaven or earth that can separate me from your love. Not especially not this place of deep shame. And, you know, I, I'm willing to bet every listener listening, you know, if you've been alive more than a couple of minutes, you, like me, have places of deep shame that can never be admitted to anybody, you know. Mm. Um, that shame, we can open the lid on it and just mm. say, God, let's co-experience this together. Mm. And he'll sweep in and he won't lecture. He'll simply be there. Mm. And it's in allowing, that's repentance. It's in the allowing the love of God to enter our deepest parts of shame and failure that they begin to be healed. Mm. And so we have this horrible view of repentance like that it's groveling or saying sorry. Repentance actually has very little, if anything, to do with saying sorry. Saying sorry is relatively meaningless if you just keep keep going back and doing it again. Mm -hmm. Repentance is the act of living with all of that in God's view and in your view coexisting together, desiring to move toward change. Mm. The rest is God's work. Mm. And so I think I think repentance is crucial, but we should see it as a 24-hour disposition of honesty rather than yeah. as a spiritual act of confession we just do every now and then. Um, not that confession is not part of it. It absolutely is. But I think there's a bigger ask, and the ask is live naked 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And you will experience mm-hmm. the joy and the power and the compassion and the wonder of God at levels you've never dreamt of to just, mm. just from being honest. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful good news. Um, yeah. I'd love to talk about these things all day. Um, we've, come to, we've come to the end of our time, but I know that you, uh, you have places that people could connect with you online. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, find your resources, find the courses that you teach. And 
and interact with uh, you and your material more on these things. So why yeah. don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, so I uh, I I kind of go under the moniker Commoners Communion, Commoners Communion. It's so hard to say. I don't know why I said, created that so many years ago. You're stuck um, now. And, and under that you'll find um, prayers. You know, I've written prayer books. I've written three prayer books that are really ways of opening these dialogues for people. They're devotionals. So they mm. little prayer and a contemplation that are designed to help sort of elevate these conversations. Um, and I've done a podcast, um, actually a, a podcast called Beholding Prayer recently that came out with the book that just has a couple of prayers. The window of the soul is there. It's eight minutes of guided prayer meditation. You can just mm. put your headphones on and practice this kind of mm. prayer. So if you if you like if you struggle to do it on your own, visit the Beholding Prayer podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever. And there's just three little prayers there to help you enter into the presence of God. Um, and then of course, Beholding, you know, is my story, and it's sort of talks through you know much of these things we've talked to you about today. So um, any of those, you know, they're there to support yeah. you in your in your communion with God. Hmm. Well, Stron, thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for sharing your time with us today. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Eric. It's been a, a pleasure and an honor. Hey, another great conversation. Thanks to Eric and yeah. to Stron for, for sharing. Uh, yeah. So much, and I, you know, this concept of just wrestling with God in the midst of suffering is something I think so many of us here at Nothing Is Wasted can relate to and understand. Yeah. And yeah. so I appreciate him talking about his journey so much. Mm. One of the things like we, is, I, oh, go ahead. We, well, I was, no, I was just going to say, I feel like we talk about this a bit when, you know, we talk about this idea of wrestling with God. Yeah. Yeah. And how important this is. Um, but it never, I mean, it never ceases to surprise me that when I, if I'm teaching somewhere, Aubrey, I'm sure you have the same experience and I issue to people that like, hey, a lot of people are going to say, and unfortunately the church has historically said you shouldn't question God. You totally. Right. Right. And, and I would issue to you, it's, it's not just okay to question God, it's imperative in your yep. healing journey. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I... It, issue that to people. They, it's like this aha moment. And so it makes me believe that there are so many of you guys who are listening to this, that mm. you think it's taboo mm. to wrestle with God, to question God. And, and I just keep going back to Jacob in yeah. the moment where his name was turned to Israel, which became yeah. the moniker of the people of God. Yeah, It was a moment when he wrestled with God. And this is yeah. what, this is what God says his people will be marked by the experience of wrestling with him, because that's where the mysteries of God yep. are revealed to us is in the yep. wrestling. Yeah. And so the alternative is to take the questions that you inevitably have in these difficult seasons to put them, tuck them in your back pocket and walk yes. away from God. Yep. Yep. And that is why I believe there's so much of the deconstruction going on yep. in the faith is because we have not done a good job, I think, as the church to say, hey, God is a God that you can wrestle with. Totally. We haven't. And and we've I think we have just sort of like developed this like weird toxic positivity. And I don't think anybody mm. meant to. Like nobody was out to be like I think sincerely church leaders have always wanted to honor God and be faithful to God's right, word. And right. so I you know, I 
I don't think anybody was out to be like, you can only be toxically positive with God, yeah, but somehow no, that's the, yeah. somehow that's the message so many of us yeah. inherited that it's not okay to wrestle with God. But I'm with you, Davey. Like, I think it's not only that it's okay, but it's actually like, it's actually mandated as part of what it means right. to be an intimate follower of Jesus. And then that's the right. wild thing is like, you add on top of that, like somehow that's part of God's love. Yeah that somehow that wrestling is how we understand and encounter and experience divine love. Right. Like, right. I can't make sense of that for you, but I think that's sort of the point, is the point yep. is like, we're not gonna make sense of it because it's the Lord. Like, as soon as we make sense of it, it's not God we've made sense of, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, some, That's right. But the invitation, yeah, you're right, Davey, it's to wrestle because we have a God who like wants all of us That's and right. wants our whole hearts and doesn't want us to pretend with him. And yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a strange thing to call wrestling and suffering good because it's painful and difficult. Right. And yet it's like, I don't know, there's God's love is there. There's an invitation right. there. Right. Well, I think about when I wrestle with my kids, Mm. You know, it's such an intimate thing. Yeah. And that, you know, the metaphor breaks down a little bit because it's not going to be a painful thing for my No, kids you're like tickling wrestle. and laughing. Yeah, we're yeah, wrestling right, together, right. but they think that they've got some kind of leverage. They can like, you know, they can knock <laughs> daddy over or something, right? And right. so, and I let them wrestle with me because why? Yeah. Because the relationship, the experience, the hands-on, like this is, mm. there's nothing more than, there's nothing sweeter, more mm. intimate with your kids than when you're wrestling around with them, you know? So true. But yeah. then there's always going to be a place and a time where I remind them like, hey, daddy's a I'm lot dad. stronger than you. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so real. Kevin I'm, talks about that dad strength. He'll be like, yeah. but I have dad strength and you don't have dad strength. Right, right. And, <laughs> and I feel like that that is a lot of the times the experience that we have as we're wrestling with the Lord. Like yeah. he playfully... So okay, and playfully is a wrong word to say. I know, right? And suffering, right? But like, yeah. there is a there's an invitation for mm -hmm. there to be an intimacy and a playfulness. That's it. And and a wrestling in the the grief and the hardship and that right. There's an yeah. invitation for that to happen, and in that space, we find intimacy with the Lord, and we are reminded of who God really is, and the yeah. strength, and yes. the power, and the yes. authority. Yeah. And the sovereignty and the like everything about him that makes us go, oh, I trust you because you've mm -hmm. got this mm -hmm. strength that I don't have. You've got mm -hmm. this this perspective and view of mm -hmm. my situation that I don't have. And then you mm -hmm. you come to a place where you go, okay, I I surrender. All, like yeah, like I all I can do is are, bow down. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's a it's a it's a bizarre process, but I'm with you. I, I'm constantly surprised by the amount of people who don't know that it's okay, even though more and more people are saying it. It's like to mm. internalize that is different. And then even in my own life, I'm constantly surprised by seasons where I'm like, find myself wrestling. Yeah. And then God like shows up with kindness. And I'm hmm. always like, oh, I forgot you were kind. Like I yeah. forgot that you are not mad at me for this. Like right. I, it's it's wild how we just need to be, we're just so human, right? We need to be reminded of this kind of reality mm. of our relationship with God all the time. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, he the, the, the phrase that really got me when Strom was talking is this idea of beholding God. Mm-hmm. And he does it. He does um, coalesce the two, right? In terms yeah. of beholding and, and wrestling. Yeah. But when I when I see that, it feels, and this is kind of what Strawn really is 
espousing in, in what he does is this, it feels very abiding and restful, right? Yes. It, which is so, yes. oh man, for someone like me who's like a high achieving Enneagram three, who's like, <laughs> I'm just always going and a, you know, the next oh, it feels so good yeah. to think like, oh my gosh, restful. I could like, just rest. You just rest in the Lord. But I'm curious for you, Aubrey, because when mm. you say behold God, it feels Ooh. very ethereal. It feels yeah. very like I can't hold, I can't grab that. I can't mm -hmm. hold on to that. There's no checklist. There's no, yeah. what does that mean for you? Like what, oh. when you experience the idea of beholding God, how can you yeah. give us some practical, Yeah, you know, if you're listening uh. to this and you're going, how do I do that? What do how I do even I just do about that? Abide in, I love it because it's like, I mean, Jesus said it too, right? John 15, 5, so mm. if you remain in me or you abide in me, you yeah. will bear much fruit. You never yeah. look outside and see a tree straining or striving right. to bear fruit. Like, right. you know, like it doesn't oh, happen. Oh, make the fruit pop out. Yeah. It just, it just grows. It just, they just abide. So what does that look like practically for us? I think it's a really good question. And there's a few ways to answer it. Um, one, I think, like I was telling you before we started recording, I feel like I was formed in this thing where like to to be in a relationship with God, it means you open up your Bible study and you like read your, and you do your lessons and yeah. you get your sort of like your moral for the day. You know mm. what I mean? You're like, you sum it up for the day. This is what God spoke to me for the day. Mm. I will live in this. And that's good. It's like I'm not- Aesop's fable-esque. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss <laughs> yeah, that yeah, as yeah. part of- where God meets us, but I think to behold is something different because mm. it means you're not being productive. Mm. It means you're not necessarily even accomplishing something. I think it's sort of like the way you, if you're married, if you're in love with somebody, you're gonna go on a date with that person. Mm. And you're gonna, like you and Christy, me and Kevin, mm -hmm. Kevin and I are going to go on a date and we're going to have this wonderful dinner together and we're going to maybe have a glass of wine and we're going to talk and we're going to mm. grow close to each other and we're not going to talk about things we have to do and yeah. we're going to like, quote unquote, waste time, yeah. but it's going to be meaningful time wasting because we're growing connected to one another. And there are different ways people do that with the Lord. Some people connect with God in nature, some through like, um, you know, spiritual mm -hmm. practices, mm -hmm. some through worship music, some through service. There are different ways God has made us to connect with him. But I think that's sort of the idea is right. you're just like being with God, connecting mm. with God, worshiping and loving God, allowing God to love you. That's mm. a key too. receiving God's love without it being an agenda other than simply, God, I want to be in your presence and wow. I want to experience your love. Wow. That's so good. I was trying to think about that for me, like as I love that parallel of just wasting time together, mm -hmm. you know, Christy often jokes that when we first got married, like our honeymoon, I was, I don't know why I'm actually embarrassed <laughs> about this. She tells the story all the time. And I just kind of like, man, that, what was I thinking? But she talks about on our honeymoon. I'm like, all right, now that we're married, let's have like goal sessions by the pool <laughs> and let's figure out how do we want to intentionally blend yeah. our family and our kids and was yeah. that bad? No, but it was no. our honeymoon. Like she's like, let's go play volleyball let's in go, the like, swim, let's go bro. do these excursions that are yeah. part of this all inclusive. Let's just literally and for me it was so hard for me to wrap my mm. head around just like being doing yeah, exactly. Doing nothing and just being together. Yeah. I yeah. am glad to say I've come a long ways since yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> just, Good. Good. And now so my like and and what it took for me was we went on a vacation 
in to California, and the whole deal was like we are we are not planning anything. Wow, it was two weeks. We are just gonna like whatever comes, come what may. Like we're just come gonna, on. and it was the coolest thing. Ever. We learned how it's to amazing. surf, and we learned, we just were like, really? oh yeah, there's surfing lessons. Let's go take surfing. Let's just. It was so spontaneous and just being together. Wow. And so when you're describing that, I'm thinking like how freeing and how restful and how fun and adventurous mm. that was. Yeah. And if our relationship with the Lord could be characterized like that, mm. it would just, it'd be like, I don't have to worry about doing anything for God. I can sit and reflect on what he's already done for me, what yeah. he has accomplished. Yeah. You know, the cross of Christ. Yeah. Now what's made available to me in the forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And mm. wow, you know, yeah. how yeah. freeing that is. So I think... I think whatever you have to do, like, you know, Matt Chandler talks about like the, whatever, like find what stirs your affections for God and just do it over and over and over. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. just really helped me to grab hold of that. Like, oh, what stirs my affections for God? Not what yeah. makes me want to produce for what stirs my yes. affections for God. Yeah. It's such a great, you know, such a great way to think about it. Oh, well, love that. Well, thanks Strawn for. Yeah. Thank you, Strawn. Challenging us and convicting mm -hmm. us in that light. Hey, uh, once again, Dave, you mentioned this, but if you're new here and you're kind of looking for your first step, like how do I become a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community? What does Nothing Is Wasted have to offer for me? Uh, we would love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We've got some regular Zoom calls, connection points, uh, ways uh, really to connect you to the ministry of Nothing Is Wasted, the story of Nothing Is Wasted, and even some of this work of like wrestling with God and yeah. beholding. We want to partner with you to do that. So again, mm -hmm. go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Yeah. We also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can go and download his music anywhere you can download and stream music. Um, and we want to encourage you to follow us at, on the socials. We've got at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, both on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram at Davy Blackburn, Aubrey at Obsamp. And we want to encourage you to review, like, subscribe, all the things that you can do, both on yep. our podcast platforms as well as this YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and if you enjoy watching your podcasts, you can go to YouTube and make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss any. Uh, any episodes that drop. Yep. So next week we have a great conversation with Jessica Harris. It's so good. Yes, I got to sit down with her and her story. I, I do not want to spoil it for the mm. listeners, but I will just say you have got to tune in her story. She, I, I'm going to do a tiny little spoiler, but she was exposed mm. to pornography at 13 years old and the stronghold it became in her life was really powerful, but the Lord brought her incredible freedom and she has a ministry now out of that called Beggar's Daughter. And wow. anyway, that's a little tease, but I would love for you to listen to part of my conversation with Jessica Harris. That's the, the way that this has escalated, where it's gone from yeah. my mom's generation, where it's like, unheard of really for a woman yep. to struggle yep. to my generation where the internet kind of came in halfway through yeah. and messed everybody up to today's teenagers and right. college students right. who have grown up with tech mm. and they've grown up with their friends using this stuff. I mean, yeah. I spoke at a church like Ugh. 10 years ago and there was a 12-year-old girl there. So 10 years ago and she mm. was 12 
And she was like, why is this woman even here sharing her story? Like, what's the point? Every girl watches porn. Wow. Like, Wow. And that was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So we have to start like changing yeah. the conversation because yeah. um, what churches aren't prepared for, I don't think, is like the tidal wave of mm. women who are struggling that's going to hit them. You know, they're they're walking around still going, well, men struggle with this because men are visually wired issue. and women yep. read romance novels. Right, right, And right, right. they're going to get hit with this wall of women who actually watch real porn and they're not going to know what to do because there's no spot. Mm. 